Ryan. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Oh, I am excited. How about yourself? I'm very excited as well. What are you excited about? Well, it's my birthday. It is your birthday. We are recording this on your birthday. Surprise! Rachel's birthday, everyone. How old are you now, Rachel? Old enough to tell? Uh, yeah, I guess. 30 today. How many in yum-yum years? <laughs> well, how does that convert? It's not like dog years, but no. it's not like cat years. Uh, it's somewhere in between. How old would you say you are in yum-yum years? <laughs> I don't know. I think you're the expert on yum yum. So I think it's up to you. It's it's 69. But <laughs> because that's ultimately yum yum. Uh, dinner for two. But other than being silly, we like to talk about things here on the podcast. Yeah, we do. And we like to talk about science fiction television primarily, although mm-hmm. one day we hope to do Desperate Housewives. Yeah. The ultimate science fiction television series, Desperate Housewives. Isn't that right, Rachel? <laughs> Well, I haven't seen all of it, so I don't know. <laughs> I have. I have seen all of it, and I know that there's a time jump in that series where they had to make future technology you to- You have explained that, and I don't know if it counts. <laughs> it but does. That <laughs> that's not why we're here today. No, we are doing something special. We did this very recently with someone else, but we're having a sit-down, a talk, and an interview with a cast member from a television series that we have gone through. Mm-hmm. We did Space Above and Beyond, a cult classic 90s sci-fi series that everyone, you should go out and give a watch for yourself. It's available out there on the internet. You can give Mm -hmm. it a watch. But we are talking to one of the main cast members of that series, the man who played Wang himself, Joel De La Fuente. Hello, Joel. How are you doing? Hey, guys. It's, It's great to be here. I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to have you. It's just so it's just so bizarre for us to be able to sit down and talk and and converse with people that are involved in the shows that we have broken apart because uh, we we like talking about TV, but uh, we don't think too much about, oh, I wonder if the cast members will hear us talk about if they're sexy or not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, for me... I, I think it was really amazing because it's great that you weren't thinking about that because when I stumbled across it, um, when I stumbled across your podcast, it was amazing to hear the two of you talk about something that I worked so closely on such a long time ago and to do so, so specifically and thoughtfully. You know, I've never experienced people going over a show episode by episode and then to do it in a way that was insightful and, uh, and candid on your parts, you know, it's what I appreciated was you, you spoke about what worked for you, what didn't work for you, um, how you saw things working, what you thought didn't work. Uh, I really appreciated it. And, you know, it's much easier to have an objective viewpoint 30 years later. So, you know, when, when people talk about what didn't work, I'm like, you know, I don't think that worked either, actually, 30 <laughs> years later thinking about it. So uh, it was really, it was fun to be a fly on the wall and also a great way for me to re-experience the show. Uh, and, A lot of my colleagues felt the same way, as you know. Um, A bunch of the folks from the show listened to some, all part of the podcast. And I think for all of us, it was a great experience of uh, a great great way to have a new relationship to something that was really close, really important for all of us. I mean, there there might, might have been a kick too out of, with our show, one of us had seen Space before and one of us, Rachel, hadn't seen it before. And 
you get to have as someone who created this series, you know, part of the creation of this series all those all those years ago, you get to be along for the journey of someone going through it with fresh eyes, someone who wasn't there back in the day, someone who doesn't have the nostalgia, someone who mm. can have that criticism of a first time watcher being like, why am I watching this? A lot of Rachel, you're like, what, 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 what are we doing here? What, you're saying Wang's a character in this show? The pilot didn't demonstrate that to no. me. Yeah, me neither, Rachel. But. <laughs> But yeah, no, that was fun. It was really fun also because, it, you know, you're so right, Ryan, because, you know, you're talking about um, like an episode uh, that's coming up and just this feeling of, wow, she has no idea that this is going to happen. I'm, I'm so curious whether it works or doesn't work. Um, and then, of course, the season finale, like this feeling of like, you know, how she going to respond to, you know, because things happen in a hurry, like at the end of that season. Um, uh, and also, I was really impressed with how many times you would, I mean, when you would ask, what do you think is going to happen in the next episode? It's called this. And then you would come up with three or four things. And I'd be like, wow, that's pretty close. Actually. A couple of them were like in the ballpark. I would have no idea. I just thought that's, that's really impressive. The only time I had to withhold a title until after the guest was choice or chance, because it's like, oh, the silicates are involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of the yeah. few titles that gives it away. Mm. <laughs> Unlike Ray sure. Butts, which is like, what, what's a Ray Butts? <laughs> I know we that you know that was uh, seeing that script for the first time. I, I just remember there was a lot of joy about that script because, um, and just a lot of uh, speculation of who who can play this guy, who are they going to get to play this guy, you know? And then when Steve showed up, we were like, "Is he that guy? How could he possibly be that guy?" And then we started, and it was just a blast. It was great, and Steve was fantastic. Oh, there's, we'll, we'll talk about some of those guest stars and people, but let's uh, rewind it a bit. Uh, could you tell us a little about your beginnings, where where you fell in love with acting? Were you someone that did it when you were a kid? Are you a theatre guy? Were you someone that you, you hit your 20s and you're like, you know, I want to do this acting thing. How did you fall in love with the craft? Well, I, I was a theater guy in the sense that I always loved going to the theater. Um, my my parents would take us to see plays in the city uh, anytime we were in school and we there would be a field trip somewhere. I always just loved it. I thought that the theater was a magical place. And when the lights went down and on the on the house and then the lights went up on stage, it just it just seemed like a, a whole other world. And I was riveted by it. Um, but I never thought that that was something uh, that I could do. One, um, just because it, it just seemed like a whole other world. And two, I never really saw anybody that looked like me up on stage. Um, and oftentimes, like when I would see someone that looked like me uh, on television or in film, I, I often didn't love the representation, although I didn't have the language for it at, at, at the time as a kid. You know, um, I do remember, you know, being, I don't know, like seven or eight or nine years old and seeing uh, Arnold on Happy Days, which was the number one show in the United States at the time. And what I loved so much about seeing Pat Morita in that show was uh, he was just a character in the world that spoke like everybody else spoke and owned the restaurant that they all hung out in. And I, I just sort of, I remember just thinking how, uh, how meaningful that was for me without really having the language for it or being able to sort of categorize it in a way that I understood. And then uh, when, of course, when I saw George in, uh, in Star Trek, of course, just the the fact that he was a part of this magic world that I thought was so cool. And he, he looked like me, you know, and, and, uh, he, he sounded like everybody else sounded. And, and, 
somewhere that lodged in my brain. And I think that, you know, years, years and years later, when I, I wanted to sort of do this for a living, it was a huge sort of component of that, that so much of wanting to be an actor is about wanting to tell stories, but also wanting to do it with uh, a level of uh, skill that shows other people that, um, you know, that somebody that looks like me is a part of this community, you know, part of an acting community, part of this uh, country, part of, you know, this culture. Um, and to do so in a way that isn't just one single way, but by, by able to be as good an actor as you can be to transform and play different people that you represent yourself in that way. Um, because I think that if I, if I had all the same characteristics, but wasn't, you know, Asian American, like if I'd grown up in the Philippines or something, I, you know, where my parents grew up, I think I might've done what they did. I might've been a physician, you know, because, uh, they both, as I learned later, were performed when they were younger. Uh, and then they went into medicine. And I think part of the performance aspect of it for me was wanting to sort of have some pride in representation and, you know, in representing Asian Americans. Hmm. So I'm going to ask a question, but I'm going to ask it hopefully in a slightly different way, which is there's lots of ways to judge and quantify your first role or early role but what when you think back on your career what do you consider to be your first role um well i think the first big job that i had was in the theater which was uh in two gentlemen of verona and shakespeare in the park in new york city uh but then uh, right after that i think my first my first big job on film or television was space I had done a couple of television shows before then, but uh, certainly I was never a series regular before. In fact, it would be decades after Space Above and Beyond when I was a series regular. Again, there was a whole journey in between the first time I did that and then the next time I did that. Um, oh, and also happy birthday. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> stop everything just to say. Uh, that, that's Thank you for spending some of your birthday uh, talking My about pleasure. Space Above and Beyond. That's... Uh, if a year ago someone had said, hey, guess how you're going to be spending your 30th birthday, you might have been like, no way. But very <laughs> yeah. grateful that you're doing that. Yeah, it was, it's interesting to, to consider because I, I've done some acting stuff too. And it's like, you, you know, you do your little productions, but like, what's that early role that you're like, now that's where I really got to sink some of my teeth into 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 stuff. And with space, it's, it's the big television one. And uh, how did you get involved in that? Like, how did this uh, how did this series come your way, and uh, what was it that uh, lured you in about it? It's just an audition, like any other audition at the time. You know, uh, just went in. I, I auditioned uh, from New York, and I think um, most of the people, I think all of the people that ended up doing the show were cast out of Los Angeles, um, but. Uh, me and one other, you know, there's an actor, uh, Fred Weller. I don't know if you know Fred, but, um, Fred and I went to go test out in LA, like the New York actors would go back then they would, you know, audition in New York and Los Angeles for big stuff. And then usually everything was centered in Los Angeles. So then in order to get network approval, you'd get flown from New York to Los Angeles. They put you up in a hotel, you'd go in and you'd, you know, you'd work with the creators and then you'd go and do the your audition in front of a room full of very unfriendly, dry network executives. Um, 
and there was always like a New York chip on your shoulder sort of thing. Like you'd go out and be like, we got this, you know, like we're, we're totally going to get this over the LA people, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I just remember flying out there and just having this feeling of like, not, not, not really knowing what, what this whole thing was about, you know, like being a little bit separated from the sort of import of it, like that, you know, it, it was a really big deal. It was a two hour uh, pilot. It was, you know, potentially a movie of the week, but there was boxes putting all this money into it. It was the X-Files guys. And I just think all of this stuff was really palpable in Los Angeles in a way that it wasn't quite as palpable in New York. And so I think fortunately we were spared a little bit of the nerves that, that come with that. And so we just sort of went in and did our thing. And, and, you know, as Rachel has noted, um, there wasn't all that much for Wang and Danfoos to do in the pilot. So, um, in fact, our audition material was basically that scene where, um, Lee Ermey yells at mm-hmm. everybody and both Wang and Danfoos Boos's lines were just every line of every person that wasn't Lee Hermy <laughs> because there weren't enough lines to sort of um, there weren't enough lines to sort of uh, uh, audition for anything. So we were basically this amalgamation of all these different characters to present to the suits or whatever. So wow. um, again, in 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 a way that was sort of fortunate, I guess there weren't a lot of expectations for Wang and Tamfus. You know, there wasn't much of a character. There wasn't much of anything. So it was much easier for us, you know, to sort of, uh, get cast. We, there weren't, there weren't 50 people they were choosing between them, narrowed down to eight, narrowed down to six that were all going in front of the suits for in, in my case, I think there was one or two other people. And also the expectations from the suits were, well, we'll just, we'll just find somebody really fast and they didn't really think too much about it. So, um, I was spared like a, I think a much higher level of scrutiny. Hmm. Uh, which, you know, which it was a little bit easier for me, I think. Yeah, because when we were going through the pilot, it, it was a little surprise. Like, oh, by the way, Wang's a character in this show. He's yeah. going to be in the series in case you didn't recognize that he was there. But he does have some stuff early on that, you know, we can connect with. Like, he's the funny guy in the group. It's like you and Pags yeah. are the, the <laughs> funny guys, the layabouts, and then Pags dies. R.I.P. Pags. We all we all should toast to Pags. but. Yeah. For yourself as as a performer, what was the elements of this character that you, you that you did connect with, or you did uh, you know you did get early on to help you draw from with with the with Wang as a person? You know, I think when when I look back on it now, I have a I have the whole story. You know, like I, I see how it all came together and the process from beginning to end. And every year, honestly, I it's. I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for this job, you know, and a tremendous amount of affection and respect for all the people that uh, work together on this. But in the moment, honestly, back then, I was so we were all sort of scrapping for our lives. You know, it was we were it was everybody's first time being a series regular on a show. Um, nobody had real life experience being primary storytellers on a television show before as actors. And, you know, over the years I've learned it's, it requires a lot of knowledge and skill. You just get better and better at it if you're lucky enough to have more and more opportunities to do it. Um, It's a crazy thing because you need experience to get better, uh, but it's very hard to get the experience. And so all of us, it wasn't like we were coming in, it wasn't like I was coming in and there were, 
you know, three or four people that were experts uh, had done a million other shows before. And so you're learning from them. We were all learning together, like as we went along. And one of the huge things about learning, I mean, this is it, what's so interesting about the show and what you guys have talked about um, at, at length are how the different roles evolved as the season went on. And the, the challenges there were a little different, like for, for uh, Lanai and I, and also James uh, and Tucker to, you know, to an extent too, all of those characters were developed after the pilot, you know, like they knew that they were going to use James in a very specific capacity, but nobody knew that James was fricking Steve McQueen, you know, like, and, <laughs> and once he got in front of the camera, you know, like, I mean, we knew that he was great, but everybody knew he was great. The second he started speaking, right. And like the audience is everywhere. That's all anybody wanted to talk about was who is that guy? Who is that guy? So then that sort of evolved that, that sort of made it, sort of the uh it was unanimous like with the, all those of us that were watching and those of us i mean the actors on set but also the suits that were watching and the audiences like it just became really clear that james was going to have a lot more to do on the show so that was exciting for everybody but it was also very clear cut for people like um and for tucker tucker showed up and like as you've pointed out very astutely he was very um one of my friends who's an actor referred to this the other day said, it's like a, you're laying pipe kind of a role. Like you're just uh, very functional, you know, uh, McQueen needs someone to push up against. Well, this guy, who is this guy? Well, it, it, we'll get this guy and it was Tucker. But in the act of pushing up against Tucker, Tucker had so much to offer and there was so much that happened between them that then he gradually became more and more. And the fact that Tucker plays the guitar, which is so unusual, the fact that Tucker has lived a life, you know, that's really that was specific and deeper than anybody ever could, would have imagined Ross to be. He brought all of this there and he was very articulate and available to share it. And so that was gold for Glenn and Jim. And so that happened for Lanai and I, they were always trying to find things for us to do. And to their credit, they really did try to find things for us to do, you know, like, and, and part of, you know, we were talking a little about a bit about exposition, but Wang became someone that was smart because enough times people didn't want to say certain things. And so then I ended up having to say it, you know, like <laughs> so-and-so maybe can't say it because there's too many lines. It's, it's too much and it doesn't work in this moment or they're forgetting the lines on that day. So then I get those lines, you know, because out of, you know, just the circumstance of the day. So then I get it the next time. And then, well, we have to get this information in here somehow. Well, Joel did it before. Joel can sort of learn that sort of quickly. So, uh, you know, I mean, you know, for 10 years on SVU, like I made a living laying pipe on SVU, not, uh, not because of my, the acting ability that I learned in acting school, but because I possessed a skill that, uh, that I continued to develop that was laying pipe, which is a slightly specific and separate category of acting that people don't really pay enough attention to. You know, people just sort of say, you know, well, we'll just get somebody, some guy that comes in and says this, that, or the other but I don't think people understand how hard that it is to do that, especially in the environment of a television set, you know, because invariably someone will come in, like if Tucker was laying pipe, like for the scene or whatever, you come in, it's a, you know, Tucker is a very experienced and talented actor. He, I mean, yes, he's talented and yes, he has all this, but he's also super experienced. So he came in and knew how to do it. But if you come in on a show and then, you know, you're standing with like Chris Maloney or Mariska Hargitay for the first time, and you're a little bit like, uh, and then everyone just starts going like a well-oiled machine and 
you you're the one that has all the heavy dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Maloney's just looking at you going, where was it? How much was it? Can you find it? And like in between those things, you're like, well, we triangulated the cell phone towers and we were able to find the signal on 53rd street at eight. And then we went down and you're trying, and then you, you know, so you just try to learn your lines. You're super nervous. People come in at the last second, they just start rolling on you. And they're like, oh, by the way, here, carry this, carry this. You're going to start walking down the hallway. This person's going to stop. You go under the thing. And all the while you're supposed to give those lines. Go. Yeah. And it's, it's a very, realize, it's a very it's like, tricky stuff to do because you have to make it feel real. You have to make it feel not just you're reading from a, from a script and with very technical dialogue. Like with a science fiction series, it's called, like, we call it techno babble a lot. It's like Star Trek is like techno babble up the wazoo. And there's a rhythm yeah. to it. There's a cadence you have to do with it as well. And and when you're a young and upcoming actor, it may be overwhelming for some people because it's like, how do I explain how the, how the silicates got created? I have to yeah. use all of these sci-fi terms that aren't real to me. <laughs> And you have to you have to imbue it with something something honest. And one of the things that we were actually talking about last night when we were prepping for questions, Rachel, Rachel, you you can go over this in detail. But we were noting like this is a series, like this is the first season of a show, but it's a series with a lot of people that were up and coming or people that were just getting their their legs in this uh, particular type of storytelling or network TV. Uh, Rachel, how how would you go about it? You were talking about it last night a bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was mainly about, like, do you think that... Yeah, like, I guess um, I was just interested because you've um, and James talked about how you're still close with a lot of the cast from Space Above and Beyond, and I was wondering if the fact that you were all relatively new to your roles in different ways, like, the writers had written before but they hadn't had their own show and you'd acted before but you hadn't been a series regular and everybody was sort of in that same boat of uh, like oh fuck it's our first time and if that like helped bring you together more and how that sort of made for a different experience doing space as well yeah I think I I mean I think it's two factors one that that it was so many of our first experience doing something like this. And then two, that it shot in Australia, the pilot. So those two things together basically created the environment. We were the 58th. I mean, we were thrust into the situation. We did get to know each other in boot camp. You know, we did get to know each other trying to fight these aliens for the first time. Like we didn't know any of it. Like we were like, we didn't know what the, we didn't know what the chigs were going to look like. We would show up on set and we were like, what, what? And that was really, it was real, you know, like Pete Kent who played Pags, you know, we got so close, you know, because that he was from there and he was such a great host and we spent so much time together. And, um, had we shot it in LA, most of the cast was from LA. So they would have gone home back to their families, back to their friends, back to their social circles. And there would have been a comfort and an ability to maintain their identity. But the fact that we all as a group ended up in a place that not, you know, nobody knew nobody had ever been before, you know? So we, we, we got close, really close. And, you know, as challenging as it could be and through thick and thin and the challenges that, that any cast has when you're working on a, uh, a first time show with really long hours and lots of pressure and stuff. We really did become a family. 
shooting in Australia. That is one of the things that we wanted to talk about because we could tell immediately yeah. as soon as a pilot <laughs> sure. opens, like, that's Australian landscape. That house is on this slanted hill and it's got this type of deck. It's this, 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 all the sand and yeah. the dirt and all of that. And hey, look, it's Bill Hunter, famous yeah. Australian actor, <laughs> Bill Hunter, playing sure. the Secretary General of the UN. And I, I was just, yeah. just wanting to know, are there any fun little stories about your time down here that you could uh, tell us about? Any memories of sure. down Tons. here in Australia? I mean, the other thing, too, is we weren't, uh, we weren't in Sydney and we weren't in Melbourne. Uh, you know, we were uh, surfer's paradise. You know, we were in, you know, just north of Brisbane, north or south of Brisbane, but on the coast there. And uh, it was a brand new studio. Uh, and we basically would just spend all of our free time just walking up and down the beach there. Uh, only Rodney was the only person that surfed in Surfer's Paradise. So uh, maybe Morgan did a little bit. But um, the rest of us, we were just like Lanai and I. Was just, Lanai and Rodney and I would spend so much money at the arcade. We would just we would just hang out at the arcade, like playing games and uh, going to sushi train, like having sushi all the time. And uh, it was. It was just beautiful. There was a time we all had time off together. We rented a car. Uh, you know, it was Morgan and um, uh, Kristen and Lanai and I. We uh, and Rod did Rodney go? I think Rodney went. And we we basically just drove. You know, uh, we just drove up the coast for a little while. Just had a great time together. I mean, that's that's what I'm talking. I mean, it's like uh, we got we got apartments. Uh, you know, they had us up in a hotel, but it just wasn't conducive to living there for weeks being in a hotel. So. We, we got uh, these apartments in a building that was basically a, nobody else lived there except for us. I mean, and so we, we basically had this great experience where we were living together uh, in Australia together. And it's just what's there to really say about it? The people are so friendly. Uh, the weather was gorgeous where we were. Um, you know, everybody, every day was was an adventure. Were you, uh, with that pilot being done in Australia, were you expecting to film the series in Australia? Obviously, it didn't happen that way, but there was, in that period of time, Australia was like a filming location for, for a bunch of things like movies yeah. and shows. And have you ever been back down here just for pleasure or for any other projects over the years? I never have, and but I, I absolutely would love to go. Um, the expectation was we would be going to shoot the series there. So it was with a great deal of um, apprehension is the wrong word, but uh, there was excitement, but also a little fear that when you sign your contract, you're signing like a six and a half, seven year contract to go wherever the show's going to go. And they're saying, if this goes to series, we're shooting it in Australia. And I just started a relationship at the time. Um, and I just, suddenly we just sort of thought, well, I, I don't think we're going to be able to survive and move to Australia. You know, like if we're apart, it's just too far away. Um, but so, but then at the, at the last second, they ended up shooting in Los Angeles because it was too far. It was too far for the dailies. It was too far for all of that stuff. So all the sort of cost savings they thought they were going to be having by shooting in Australia were going to be mitigated by all the back and forth that was going to be required in sort of a non-internet friendly world at the time. You know, there was no internet really to speak of. So you, you, you couldn't, you know, you, you were going to have to like uh, overnight the dailies and stuff like that. So it just was not doable. No. Yeah, it, it was weird watching that pilot because like Ryan had warned me, but I was just like, there are so many things that are just really telling. 
about it. No, it's Mars, Rachel. And, uh, <laughs> it's Mars. Can't you tell? It's red. <laughs> Can't you tell? No, like, I just had, like, that flash of Nathan's house, and I was just like this. Your brother's place. Yeah, there were some places. Or- nope. <laughs> Oh, Nathan West's house, but Nathan also your brother West. is Nathan, who has a house like that. So <laughs> yeah. there you go. Oh, is that right? Yes, yeah. true. <laughs> um, also, all the angry angels look like tradies. Yeah. <laughs> Surfers. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. and it's just like they clearly did local casting for a lot of the roles. You have to. Yeah. yeah. Only, only the special ones, like the main cast and Ali Omi, get to get to be a part of stuff. I guess uh, I'm really curious, like you've mentioned that uh, there wasn't a lot to Wang to start with, Um, and I wonder how much input you got to have on how that characterization was built outside of them giving you all of the exposition because you could do it. (laughs) I think that... um... There, there was a dialogue often be- between the actors and Glenn and Jim. Uh, I wouldn't say that it was it was actual input because there was never any question that they were the writers of the show and they were determining what was going to happen. We would often sort of suggest things, but really the things that they would take from us weren't things that were suggested. They were things that they would observe so or things that you wouldn't anticipate. So part of the reason why Wang became such a huge sports fan is because, you know, Glenn is a huge San Diego sports fan. And so one of the first things we were talking about personally was me being from Chicago uh, and how much I love Chicago sports teams. And so we would sort of bemoan the misfortunes of our sports teams together. And that's something that Glenn really seized on right away for Wang. And so he made Wang from Chicago. He made Wang a Bears fan. He made Wang, you know, and so some of that was me being from Chicago and a Bears fan, but the things coming out of my mouth were Glenn being a Chargers fan from San Diego and his frustrations with that, <laughs> that was coming through Wang, you know? And yeah. so, and, and so for a while it did become, he could be funny and a sports fan and all this kind of a thing. And, and I really appreciated having more to do, but it was hard for me sometimes to sort of put on different hats and see, you know, because watching it, you know, watching it as, as I was listening to your podcast, you know, sometimes, you know, watching you, you know, watching myself try to put certain things on to varying levels of success and failure. It's even 30 years later, I'm like, Ooh, Joel, (laughs) you know, or, you know, take a little bit more time there, or maybe you could have embraced that a little more fully, you know, things like that. And, uh, but you could see, you could really see how, you know, Glenn and Jim are sort of having, it's like almost like try this outfit on. Okay, that work. The shirt works. The pants don't work. So give them some more pants, you know, and then you get something else to do, you know, uh, pants or exposition or something, right? Okay, the pants. He'll always wear those pants, but now <laughs> let's give him something else. So you know that was happening all the time, you know, and um, and like you said, uh, for someone like Wang who didn't have much to begin with, you're watching this sort of evolution happen. For characters who did have a lot to do, like you know, for Morgan and Kristen and Rodney. It was, it, it's easy to say, oh, you know, Lenai and I don't have much to do, you know, like we're, this is, you know, boohoo for us. This is hard for us to do, but it was equally hard in a completely different way. I mean, Morgan is the great example, but like for Morgan and Kristen and Rodney, which is that Morgan was really saddled with this archetype that didn't 
work from the get-go. Like it, it, it didn't 100% work because you're basing an archetype that's from the 1940s and 50s into the 1990s. And there's just a lot of, you know, it's familiar enough where we sort of know what's happening, but the t- it just isn't working in the time. And so he had to honor that, but then he had to survive it long enough to try to find his own way. And, you know, I think that Morgan was 100%, you know, Morgan is a wonderful actor and he was 100% committed. He was frustrated, but he was going to see it through. And to their credit, Glenn and Jim also knew it wasn't working completely. So they were constantly trying to find the right mix. And and so basically, that's what we were doing for, you know, like, everyone's sort of juggling 12 plates at once, you know, and, and, you know, Glenn and Jim's plates are the biggest plates of all. But, you know, the actors are sort of trying to help them juggle those plates. And so everyone, you know, there's all of this sort of, uh, you know, um, everyone's sort of scrambling, trying to adjust their processes. Sometimes we run into each other and plates go flying. But every once in a while, something really amazing starts to happen. And as the season goes on, there is more confidence in what people are doing. And uh, I think we sort of settled into a nice rhythm. As you've also talked about a little bit, I think one of the really frustrating things uh, is we never really found anything great to do uh, for Lanai and Lanai's, you know, as great as an actor as anybody on the show. So yeah, uh, yeah, because we for me, loved, it was really fun to we watch love her. her as a presence. We love her as a presence. Yeah. And we loved her bouncing off of each one of the of, of the cast. And that's like one of the draws of, of this series that once you start watching it, because when when Space Above and Beyond gets talked about, it's in relative to it's in relation to it's this cancelled show. It's created by these people. It does this in the sci-fi TV landscape. It does this in terms of like where TV was at with continuity and ongoing stories but when you actually sit down and watch it it's about the ensemble it's about those group of characters having to learn to like each other and or grow to appreciate each other as as a platoon as a unit as a squadron uh commanding officers and subordinates and you can definitely see that with with all of you in the cast there's just such a, a, a like a warm energy from you all and yet as you're saying like you're having to juggle stuff and each actor's having to play very specific types of characters. And uh, for like, just for you looking back on it or just thinking back on the experience, how would you describe working with, with the cast, like with the other people? Like, how did you feel about it? Like, who did you feel like you as an actor really gelled with? Or who do you think like Wang as a char- character really got something brought out of him by interacting with this person? I mean, if you if you name the actor, I could I could talk about them all at great length because I you know I'm I'm super fond of everybody. Uh, I have a, a lot of great respect for each person uh, and different things for different people. But you know, I was just texting Rodney the other day, like we were going back and forth, and um, just the fact that we're still having these conversations, you know, like the fact that you know, uh, he was texting me about a friend of mine. Um, whose work that he admires. And so uh, we, we were, we were texting about that. And it's just sort of like, we used to still have a community where you can be like, Hey, what do you think? You know, I was watching your friend's work and I think this, and we'd be like, Oh, that's so nice that you would say that we just, we, ha- we have that sort of um, fraternal bond in that respect. You know, like I, I'm so interested to hear what he has to say about things, you know, um, as somebody that was really, who I was really close to during the shooting of it, who I'm not really in touch with anymore, was Doug Hutchison, you know, who plays Elroy L. Because of the fact that we had such a sort of this perverse 
perversely intimate uh, relationship, you know, like this sort of, um, which I loved so much, you know, because at the end of the day, the fact that the fact that Glenn and Jim were so ultimately interested in a character piece, in an ensemble piece, that character was where their passion was, um, was to everybody's great benefit because you're getting really complicated, bizarre things to do. Like, you know, it's one thing if it's, it's, you know, if you describe it, it's like, oh yeah, this one character is tortured by this other character. And there are these things that come up that are, you know, it's like a military show. So there's all these things that come up, but it was so much more than that. It was, it was weirdly intimate. It was weirdly, it was, you know, and, and Doug, of course, is so great at bringing that dark sort of um, pseudo sexual yet also playful and it's, it's like whatever you don't expect like when i was watching uh, i was i was the angriest angel i think right well i watched you know because i was listening to podcast and there's that one moment where he says you know oh yeah like oxen free and he has this moment where he like throws up his hands and he sticks his tongue out he was yeah. that 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 elroy that particular elroy was a tongue sticker outer <laughs> and i was laughing so hard watching yeah. this lad like you know 30 years later because i was like doug you crazy <laughs> you crazy fucker you know just because like where did you get that like which it's classic weird doug and doug is just doing his thing and of course we were all like titillated and scared when we heard that doug was doing it because he was elevated in our eyes because glenn and jim had worked with him on the x-files and so we were hearing all of these stories about him and what he was like on the x-files so he came in with a little bit of cachet you know the way that like you know david Duchovny showed up and people that they had worked with before we sort of you know received them as you know uh friends of glenn and jim and so, and so they had like a little aura about them and you know doug had this whole aura when he was playing i think his character was called tombs on the x-files he's one of the best villains in the first stretch of the show so it was quite it's like an obvious pull to bring him into space above and beyond to play arguably one of the great villains of the show <laughs> Yeah, he 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 sent uh, the actors like a like a cow heart or something like that, like just which really freaked out the cast members of the X Files, I think. And so we heard stories like that, and we're like, "Ugh, so, <laughs> this this guy's gonna just be so weird. That guy's yeah. gonna be like pointing a finger in my face, and who knows where else, you know?" And so all of that sort of played into things. So yeah, he was great. I, I love mean, you know, how in Angriest Angel, his version of Elroy L is more insane than the one who tortures you. The one who tortures you yeah. is relatively calm in comparison <laughs> to that one for some reason. But it's like, yeah, it's it's isn't that great? Like the way he was able to find slightly different versions of this archetypal Elroy character that was really fun you know and at the time it's like we're all again we're all juggling so much so it's fun to have some distance where you can start to appreciate the breadth or just even what people are going for more like strangely when you're working on a show you know it more than you know it more than anybody else in the world until it airs and then suddenly you go from being the expert to like the least important person in the room because the people that watch it bring a whole new perspective to it they have their own opinions and suddenly all the expertise that we had is dwarfed by the viewers, you know? And, and so it, it's just, and it's fun to watch it as a viewer all these years later, because you see things that you would never see. You know, sometimes when I watch the show, uh, I am just thinking of and remembering, I can remember other takes. Like I'll be, you'll be watching, it's 30 years later, I'll be watching I'm like, oh, they should have used this other take. And I sort of think to myself, I can't believe <laughs> 30 years later, I remember other takes of this shot in this cut together show. But that's, that's what it's like to work on a show. 
it's it's for a series that's so macabre and so like morose uh, your character has to really help bring some some levity to the group, not just for comedic effect, but <clears throat> just your brotherly bond with 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 a lot of the people. Like you, you and uh, Rodney have a real like brother bond, but you're like the you're the older brother to him. And then and then when you're interacting with with McQueen, it's like you're you're kind of like uh you're like the bratty kid who's doing impressions of him and, and it's like it's, it's it's this thing where you have a series where lots of episodes will end with everyone crying. But to get there you have <laughs> so many little little fresh bits and one of the excitements for myself doing this podcast was Rachel going through it for the first time and and what the reaction would be to some of the characters' journeys. And even for myself, I said at the very beginning, oh, I don't even think Wang gets that much to do because being a young teenager, I was drawn to, like, you know, you're, you're, you're the, the main ones, like the big Other guys. Other characters in the, in, were more yeah. shiny. Uh, yeah, exactly. But for for us on the podcast, it was just so uh, re- enriching to see what Wang did get up to, like his journey throughout the show, and like how his purpose did evolve and change over the course of things. And uh, with yourself involved in that, like with you getting the scripts each week and seeing where the character was going, what was it like for you? Like, was it exciting to see Wang go from? like the guy who wore the pants of exposition to a character that would allow you to bring some real gravity of dramatic variety because we've had people who watched the show along with us and one of my friends, Julio, he was like, oh, I wasn't expecting Wang to be the Christmas Grinch, but it really works because he's still suffering from <laughs> yeah. from yeah. the previous episode. And it's like who like many people like who would have guessed like this character could could have that to them and this performer could bring that because again when we when we start the show, it's like I didn't even re- remember much and Rachel didn't even know Wang was gonna be followed through on that heavily. So what was it like on, on your end to see? Slowly over the course of things, uh, the character getting those those different dimensions, his shades, and and an overall little arc. Well, one of the one of the great lessons that the show gave me was seeing how all of these different pieces, as something evolves, can can create help create the character for you. That when you have certain things come up that might be contradictory or you do this one week and then you do this the other week, but then all of a sudden you're getting tortured. You know, you're supposed to tell jokes, then you're getting tortured. And then this is happening and always a million different questions about what direction is this character going in? And nobody has an answer for you because everybody's spinning plates, trying to figure it out. Looking back on it, the great lesson from that is I stumbled onto a character that was more interesting than I ever could have done by myself. And, and, and a character that was more human than anybody would have foreseen going into it. Um, and that was the that was the great lesson that I learned coming at it from Wang's point of view, as opposed to say someone coming from uh, Nathan's point of view, which is to say, when you see Nathan's character, you have a million different stories to draw from. And you think you have a beginning, middle, and then you have all these expectations. And even if you serve those, a lot of the time it's like, well, I knew that was going to happen. That's boring. And with this, when you don't know where it's going and you're complaining because it doesn't make sense or I don't like what I'm doing or I have no idea or you don't trust me or this is how because all that is going on while we're spinning plates and being grateful and having a great time. We're also scared, frustrated, not sure what's going on, fighting like a family fights. But then you look back later and you're like, you know, people don't always make sense. 
People don't make logical sense all the time. People go this way and then they go that way. The person that was in such a good mood was the meanest person at the table today. And that makes a layered, interesting character. And, and that was a great lesson of space that, you know, when you watch how the characters sort of find their way through and specifically for me, for Wang, I feel like Wang was a great gift because he was a character that nobody would have been able to create on their own, you know, and I'm not saying that the character was 100% successful or was this or that. But when I look at all of the different things that sort of splat out on the canvas at the end of the day, it certainly is a lot more interesting than, um, than any of us would have done on our own, I think. And, and, and that taught me a lot, you know, like we don't always have to be so logical about things or sometimes we need to embrace the opposites or really go for things that don't make logical sense if they're emotionally true, because you end up creating really compelling characters that way. Yeah. I think that that can make a really big difference between feeling like there is a character and there is a person in a show is when the, those complexities come through and not everything is in alignment because people aren't just equations that always work the same way or always equal out in the end, that there mm-hmm. is more complexity than that. And Wang is a very dynamic character that does evolve so I'm wondering if there is a specific moment that you feel like sums up Wang for you. Thanks for these questions, by the way, you guys. They're such, uh, they're such interesting questions. Uh, you know, I think maybe this is sort of a cheat because it's at the end, but that moment when um, in the last episode that, the ISSCV door closes and then Wang goes to the door and he tries to open it and it's, it, it's not going to open. And so there's a moment where he has to sort of realize a whole bunch of different things. Like one is I'm, st- I'm stuck and I, I can't get out. And two, there's an objective to fulfill and three, we're all in danger. So he makes this choice to sort of um, sacrifice himself for the good of the mission. And, uh, I think on paper, you know, it, it's an altruistic action that's heroic, but because of the show was the way that it was, it, it doesn't come across as this sort of shiny heroic moment. It's, it's a human, it's like, it's not like a superhero makes that choice. You know, it's this flawed kid, the same kid who, um, you know, couldn't raise his voice in the pilot, you know, with Lee Ermey, suddenly like he's the one that's saying, you know, let's go, let's go do this. And we have the benefit of all these jagged little moments before that to inform the simple action. And I think the line is something just like he says, you know, Nathan, take them, uh, uh, take them home. You know, like, mm-hmm. I think everybody is telling Nathan, you know, Nathan, come on. Like, this is what, you know, everybody basically gives their lives for Nathan, like for Nathan's objective, you know, like mm-hmm. at the very beginning, we're like, Nathan, what are you doing? Like, pay attention to us, pay attention to the Marine Corps. And at the end, everybody gives their lives for Nathan, you know, like Nathan, take them home. This is what you want to take them home. And um, I, I think in a way that's sort of Wang in a nutshell, because, he's finally a member of the group. He finally has his war cry. He finally, um, I think he's always wanted a family and that's the moment where he's the closest to his family. And he's a, he's finally able to sort of save himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of these sort of, um, inner demons that he's had, he's able to sort of answer in that simple action. 
Yeah, and it's all I always almost say it as like he is trying to redeem himself in his own eyes at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things early on that uh really brought something out of the character of, of Wang for us and I'm I'm not too sure if this is like how you stumbled across the podcast because we made a little social we made a little video post about it but it's that conversation that you have with your your now current wife that character in the two-parter and that whole episode it's like Wang is the the comedy guy he's a silly guy he's wearing his lucky shirt and he's getting all he's you know he's <laughs> he's just posturing about being the sports guy but then when confronted with the real fact that this could be a mission that you don't make it back from you get to have very intimate and quiet conversations we get to see wang sit down with a woman and actually talk as a person instead of like this machismo character that he himself is putting on and that's also like what I really adored about Wang early on was there was this sense of like he is putting on a persona because he wants to come across as as more, you know, more rough and tumble than he actually is. Like it's funny to see you walk over to to like Cooper or or, or West or somebody and be like, hey, I need the TV. It's my time now. And <laughs> I think that was just such okay. a big moment was we got to see like a, a like a, a more genuine sweet side of of Wang, a character that had vulnerabilities rather than just the guy who was there to crack wise or the guy who was there to tell us why the problem is the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I'm just sort of postulating this in the moment, but you know. That stretch of episodes, you know, and, and by that I want to say it's like, you know, Butts, The Enemy, the first double episodes going into like River of Stars, like that that whole sequence of episodes. That's the bridge of episodes that takes us from the beginning where it was a little bit, it was still sort of, we were still dealing with the, the aftermath of the pilot and stuff. This is when the show started to find things that worked and then things really start working just after that, like River Stars that goes into, you know, the next double episodes, um, you know, Angriest Angel and, and you know, those episodes, um, which I think are the, the as a stretch, they're the our, our best episodes. But these ones, I, I think I'm, I'm just as fond, if not more fond of like, you know, the butts uh, level of necessity, choice or chance episodes. And even, you know, <laughs> we're, we're all really, I think we're all really fond of the enemy and the cast. And it was so funny to hear you guys take that apart. We were, I, I was like, ooh, ouch, ooh. Beca- and, and I think that um, uh, because we were all being given a lot of different things to do in very fast order, really high stakes stuff, like, you know, and when it doesn't work in the enemy, really high stakes stuff in hostile visit is like, we're all going to go toward death, high stakes stuff. Here's this woman that I'm having a conversation with. And um, those are the pieces that, you know, it's just them throwing these big ingredients in the pot. And I think they found the ingredients they wanted to use. And then they started refining them as we got further on into the episodes. And, um, as an actor personally, you know, when I think back on that time, I think I too, like, like you're saying Wang was doing, I was putting on something because I wanted something more to do on the show. I was trying to find my way to make an effort or mark on the show. And, I think, you know, Glenn and Jim are giving me things here that I don't quite see as the things that are going to take me to where I need to go because I'm busy 
posturing the way Wang is posturing. And they're giving me things. And while I'm playing them on the way, I don't realize that we're finding our way to something yet. You know what I mean? And, and so that's such a great gift coming from them that I didn't realize in the moment. You know, I'm just sort of trying to figure out what works or want something. You know, it's like, you know, am I going to get yelled at again? I don't think that that's cool. I don't want my character to get yelled at. Like, why can't, why can't I be cool like Cooper? Or why can't I have like a shot of my eyeball with like the spaceship going up like Morgan? Or why can't, you know what I mean? I'm just <laughs> having all these thoughts. And, um, and in fact, I'm starting to get things that are ultimately going to define who he is and in a way and, and the, per, the character that I really loved, you know, I really, you know, I think it's, I've been sort of mischaracterized or sort of quoted partially out of context at times because of how I feel about representation and being Asian American and all this stuff. Like, um, I love this character, like unequivocally, like I, I love Wang. I loved the experience on the show. Um, it wasn't always a perfect show, like the feeling of it, like it wasn't always comfortable or anything like that, but I'm so grateful for it. And I, I, I think he's a great character. I mean, you know, my issues with representation so have so much to do with like that period of time where you just didn't see so many people that, that looked like me, you know, and so that there was so much pressure to be a certain thing. But when you're also trying to be an actor and you want to create a compelling, interesting character, those characters are flawed and they, those characters don't always make sense. And you can't play a perfect person and be a good actor. You know, mm -hmm. so Wang sort of was finding someone who was very flawed and getting a chance to play somebody like that. And and that's one of that's that's the great gift, you know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different things uh, floating online and just in the general area when it comes to this series and, and you and some of those things. And we tried our best to talk about it during the show. But it's that thing of like, we don't have the we don't have the full context of everything. We don't know. We're just going to go on good faith of some things and just go off of what the show had in it. And we tried our best and we would talk about what we felt about the, the representation and how this series went about examining issues of bigotry and did it do it well, did it not at times. And yeah, that was one of the things that we, we had uh, to ask you about was like if, if you wanted to clarify any more, like give a, a bit of an understanding for people out there because you go to like the Wikipedia page and it'll be like criticism and it's like one of the actors, you, are talking about this and it makes it sound like you, did, you, like you had a problem with Wang coming, like coming across as a stereotypical character and it's like when you read that and I'm watching the show, I'm like, oh... I, I don't know. Oh, I can't okay. see it because yeah. one of the things I find interesting is, especially in this period of time, a lot of uh, you know characters, whether they were played by African Americans or Asian Americans, it's like that was the thing about the character. It's like you were right. like it had to be a story about that. But in Space Above and Beyond, it's a series dealing with bigotry, but the the the, the race of the characters don't factor in like you being no that's Asian moved never... over to the, the the tanks really but yeah like right. Wang being the the Asian guy on the team never matters it's just like he's never brought up like it matters in the fact that you are just a really competent character and you're there but it's not like we get a very special episode about Wang and and stuff like you did with. <laughs> like Harry Kim, where Harry Kim on Voyager, each week he would come in and he'd be like, an old Chinese proverb from my family is like, but Harry Kim's Korean. <laughs> and the writers just admit, like, we didn't know. Yeah. But with Wang, it's so just bad. like, um, with, with Wang, it was just like, oh, he's he's there. And then when you step back, it's like, oh, yeah, like, obviously with the actor, but also the character's name. But 
Like you just like like every other character, there is no there is no like spe- like special treatment about it. Like in yeah, some other, it really stories. feels like Wang was just Wang. It wasn't like, look at us, we're doing a thing. Mm. Here is an Asian right. American actor. Well, I mean, okay, so to try to rather than just say I'm out of context there, this is how I feel about it. Maybe to try to focus more on the actual. Uh, criticism part to try to understand where I was coming from because um, when when I look back on the show now or even after when I look back when the show was completed for example uh, the great gift was look at this really interesting compelling character that had all of these idiosyncrasies and paradoxes that make him an interesting person like when the show was finished I thought to me I thought he is the most interesting character in the sense that he he doesn't make sense all the time and that's really interesting like you know that's a person and i really appre- i appreciated that uh that uniqueness of him you know that it was like you know he's a little bit different sometimes but if you if i if i think of who i was when i was doing the show when i first got the show when i was doing the pilot of the show we didn't know how the show was going to end up we didn't know that I was going to be given all these things to do. All I knew was what was in the pilot. And as I've tried to say sort of in a humorous way, the character was four different characters. Like, so there, there was no character is what I'm trying to say. But who was the character in the pilot? He's a guy who's scared. He's a guy who gets yelled at and, 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 and is extremely fearful um, for humor. And so to me, that was, there were a lot of red flags there for me, um, especially when you're about to sign a six-year contract uh, where you might be doing this for six years. And so I was worried about it. I was like, I'm not going to be on a show where the whole point of my character, one is his name is Wang, which at the time was what I started hearing right away. Like people, it's different now, but back then it was like people thought that was funny to say it out loud, Wang. Wang, you know, and I, and to me, like as someone growing up where you don't want to be, you don't want to point it out that you're different. Hearing people laugh at the name of a character made me worried, you know, and made me feel bad and made me feel worried for people who might have that name, who might be, ah, ha, 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 Wang. Also, as it was pointed out to me many, many times going into the pilot, like the correct pronunciation of that name, if you're Chinese is Wong, because there is no ah sound. So whenever you would say, my name is Wang, there was always somebody who is of Chinese background who would say, it should be Wong. Hmm. To which point you're put in the position of having to say, well, but it's an Americanized version and people say Wang here or something. And then, and well, are you Chinese? No. You know, and so then you have to have that whole conversation. So if you're having that conversation and the whole point of your character is that you get yelled at and it's funny. Because that's what you do when you watch that. It's the whole point, if the scene works, and I'm not saying that it works or not, but when Lee Ermey yells and basically says, you know, you're, you're not a man, basically, and then he has people run up and yell in your face and that you yell, the whole point is that's so funny. And also his name is Wang, and that's funny. And that's who that guy is, somebody that we laugh at. Not somebody that we laugh because he's funny, because he's a sports fan or because whatever else. We laugh at him. And when I was growing up and seeing people, people were laughing at characters. People laughed at Long Duck Dong and 16 Candles. People laughed at 
the Mickey Rooney character in Breakfast at Tiffany's, you're not laughing because they're interesting, funny characters. You're laughing at the otherness of those characters. Mm. So when I say that I had an issue with stuff like that, that's what I had an issue with. And I, I still stand behind that. Like I, I, I didn't know who Glenn and Jim were. And when I met Glenn, he's very shy, you know, at first. And he said, you know, there's not, Wang isn't going to have much to do in the show, you know, but we're really happy to have you. We'll try to find some things for you to do, but this is really a show about, um, it's a show about Nathan and Cooper and Vanson. And, and, you know, he was really upfront about it. And I was like, okay. Um, but I'm still really worried, you know, because if, if what I am is, is how you see me in the pilot, then this is not going to be, this isn't really why I want to be an actor to begin with. And I think that it's problematic. So that, that's what I was talking about and how it evolved. That's, that's not how Glenn sees the world, you know, and obviously that's not how James Wong sees the world either, you know, as another Asian American person. So, um, I think what we accomplished after that was much different than that, but that's, that's where my fear came from. You know, like that's, um, you know, ironically, I feel like Harry Kim was not like that in the pilot. And when you talk about like the things that he was saying later, that's really unfortunate because they didn't ever have to do stuff like that. I mean, so. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it was one of those things too, where like, just, just, obvious thing like when you're going when you're going through the series those things that you mentioned about the pilot are are there and as someone who grew up with like 90s science fiction television maybe good intent was there but you do get like these fumbles that were very common as well and so those concerns you're mentioning were uh, were perfectly valid and and make a lot of sense but it was it's that thing of like when you're like you know nowadays you go to the wikipedia and you and we're we're talking we're thinking about it from like the full series context it's like oh that's a and you see that quote and you're like oh what does that mean and also just just for myself i'm like oh i assume that (laughs) that the character of wang was somewhat of a self-insert for one of the creators of the show because of just similar names and stuff and also like this series does deal with with you know issues of of racial inequalities and 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 talks about like you know stuff of that nature and so it's just like i i don't know but i'm glad to be able to talk to you and hear it more fully from your side because when we're doing the podcast it's like i i feel like we need a little bit more and who knows maybe you the actor your perspective on it is a bit different now than whenever that statement was made or maybe you can articulate it in a way that we aren't a hundred percent sure of yeah because especially the conversations around representation have continued to evolve quite a bit since space first came out as well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's the big thing too is opportunity you know like um i think you know, my, the, the, the thing that I like to say too, is, you know, when, when people talk about the Godfather, people talk about one of the great American films or one of the great films of all time. They don't talk about, oh my God, you know, the way Italian people are represented, just, you know, criminals, the mob, blah, 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 blah. Why? Because the person in the corner store is Italian American, or they know there's Joe DiMaggio. There's this, like, there's so many different ways that you're exposed to Italian Americans, Italian culture. Sure. There's a lot of negative portrayals, but they're often, there's so much out there that there is like a, you have the chance to have like a varied picture. And now I think, you know, obviously everything is sort of still a, uh, you know, we're sort of still figuring it all out. But when you, 
when you turn on the TV now, the, the, you, you see so much more diversity than you used to see. So it doesn't have to be like you so succinctly put it. It's not the, the function of the character isn't just the race, you know, because, and that, that's a, when, when that's what, you know, cause if that's who Wang ended up being like that, I was just really worried about it. You know, I didn't, I didn't want it just to be that, you know, and, and I would have felt, a little bit better about it, but still problematic. If like Wang was just so heroic all the time, you know, like I always say the yeah, right if thing. It's just like or, okay, we're going to make him the exact opposite of the stereotype, and that exactly. that that that's good representation because he's not the stereotype. So yeah. so it's all fine. Oh, you mean Star Trek yeah. with Chakotay? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Voyager, Voyager. I mean, at that time I mean, was yeah. a wild was a wild beast, and it has aged particularly. And I love Voyager, so you could take it as a fad that I have yeah. issues with, but um. To to get back with space, as some like, do you? This is the tough. This is a tough question after all of this. But do you have a favorite episode of the show? You mentioned the enemy. But do you have a favorite of your own? <laughs> does it does it equate to you as someone being able to watch it, or someone who read the script and got to perform it, or or the actual making of it? Do you have a favorite? That the last episode. The last episode. I mean. so much of so much of that episode was so I, I just feel like I feel like Glenn and Jim are at the top of their game first of all like I, I just think it's it and they really pull things together together in a really nice way I'm, I'm talking about actually first the, the actual written script and then and then the way that it was put together was also amazing but you know as you've talked about a little bit like that's that's not really what we shot at the time like we didn't they knew that it was most likely going to be canceled and the writing is on the wall and everything. But, you know, what's not said enough about it, like when I hear people speak about it is even though we knew the numbers weren't good, we didn't have network support anymore. People weren't watching us because they were moving us around. My feeling is, and this is to be, you know, other people might disagree, but even though you say all of those things, like when Glenn says it, he's like, I knew, I knew. And then I was going to change all this. But I would say that at the same time, what Glenn doesn't say is that, we all had hope, you know, like, uh, yeah, to quote when we all had faith. Through in, in things in that episode of, like, it, it just leaves, like, the window open a crack where it's just, like, you can go back and do this thing with this character and that thing with that. And that's why, like, I found it so frustrating with what happens with Wang, which I'm sure that you'll you'll get into more. <laughs> Well, you know, the other thing I just want to say about that episode that I love so much is uh, Shirley Walker's score in that episode. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I mean, yes, she they, they also end it. They ended in complete silence, which is amazing, you know, but there, there's like this theme that they use that I don't know what the instrument is, but it's almost like um, it almost sounds like bells, you know, that they use like when when they're looking at for Kylan's name on the list, there's like this sort of wistful, sad chiming that happens and they use it throughout the episode you know and it's it's so she captures so much that sort of yearning sad darkness with hope in it that is infused in all of the show like that you know uh she sent me so kindly because i never met shirley in person but i i remember telling her i sent her an email saying how much i loved her score uh her scores for that and then she just she sent me cassette tapes of all of the episodes and uh i had digitized them 
years ago. And, and now, of course, they, they were lost in the cloud when Apple started doing different things about stuff. So I, I'm sort of in this place where I, I'm thinking I have to, I don't even know if I still have the cassettes anymore. But I, if you ever just hear the, the, the music from that last, just the, specifically the last episode, there's all these new themes and stuff. It's so good and captures our show so perfectly. Like I used to just listen to it and just think about the show. There were a lot of interesting guest stars and directors that popped up during the series, and we love seeing certain faces, certain names, and there was some that raised eyebrows, like Coolio's in the show, but... (laughs) I remember, (laughs) yeah. I mean, we all love Coolio. He he played Kwanzaa Bot in Futurama, (laughs) Futurama that used the sound effects from Space Above and Beyond, so there's a relation there. But is that right? Wow. Yes, yes, that's true. Apparently, apparently, online, who knows? It might not be. There's a few things about space trivia that aren't necessarily true to life. Um, I think it is just that space used very basic stock sound effects, and so does Futurama. It has it's uh, Fox's sci-fi sound effect library. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But um, did you like working with any particular guest stars? Were there any that you just really uh, gelled with or thought brought a unique presence outside of uh, Doug that you've mentioned already? And any uh, of the directors that you thought really got the show or you just uh, really were connecting and vibing with? Um, he, he directed, I think, more episodes than anybody else. So I think people, uh, uh, people talk about Tom Wright a lot. Uh, Tom was a great director for our show, sort of like, um, it's not really like Tucker, but, uh, Tom served in, you know, uh, in Vietnam and, and they both experienced some pretty intense stuff. And, um, so knew a lot about war from a firsthand experience. And so he was able to bring that to the table in a way that was, I mean, he had an authentic life experience that he was able to use in an artistic way. Uh, so that was great. And then, um, you know, there's an actor turned director named Charles Martin Smith, who, uh, I really enjoyed speaking to just about acting and about directing, you know, like when, when he directed an episode, um, just, you know, and, and Doug of course was the great guest star that I, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to work with a bunch, but everybody was, was really lovely to be around. I mean, we didn't see too much of Coolio. Uh, we oh. were excited to see him once, but he he came with an entourage. He was in his trailer for a long time, and then uh, and then did his thing, you know, and then and then left. So, uh, well, yeah, yeah. There was, I mean, Coolio R and R is a is a is a wild episode of television. You've yeah. got Coolio, you've got David Duchovny giving an even weirder performance than Coolio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which was, you know, not part of my predictions for that episode. No. <laughs> I, you know, uh, I, I mean, I think we might have chatted about it, you know, offline or whatever, but it was it, it was sort of a bummer because, you know, David was on that show technically as a favor for Glenn and Jim. We really needed the ratings then. But then he sort of he sort of kneecapped him by saying, you can't use my name to publicize the show. So there was no it didn't it didn't benefit us at all. And I, I don't know why you would do it and then and then prevent prevent the benefit of having done it because that, that could have really helped. You know, and and uh, you know, sort of a bummer. He, but he came in and gave a weird performance. He's like, "Look, I'm coming in. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ham it up. Yeah. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. And whatever I'm yeah. doing it, I'm doing it a hundred percent." So, Rachel, where do you want to go now? Do you want to crack open the the questions about the cancellation of it all? Oh, I thought we would go with uh, 
some of the other trivia points that are floated around, which one should be relatively easy to confirm or deny, which was, did you meet your wife on set? I did not meet my wife on set. Uh, she and I uh, met uh, when I, uh, we, well, we started dating right when I graduated from acting school and was doing Shakespeare in the Park. And uh, and then she came to visit during the shooting of the, of the season in LA right as they were casting that part. And so she auditioned and and, 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 you know, we were lucky to get to play those scenes together, but we were, we had been together for, if, if not quite a year, was it a year, maybe a little more than a year when, when we did that. And now we're, you know, we've been married for, uh, 23 years. Wow. Cause that's the, that's the lovely little fairy tale yeah. story that everyone hears. It's like, oh, see these two actors that are bonding on the screen. Oh, they met during this and now they're married and they have a family and, <laughs> And that's... I, I do enjoy seeing that. I, I see that floating around a lot, and I, I, you know, I see no no need to sort of uh, publicly uh, uh, shoot it down. But it's not true. <laughs> and you guys had great chemistry yeah. on the screen. We 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 wanted to see her character come back at some mm. point. There were points I in know, the show where, like she could have come back in that moment instead. But oh well, maybe if there was a season two, we could have got her to come back and be like, still got the shirt, <laughs> still got the stinky shirt, the lucky shirt. <laughs> I wish I had a bit shirt. <laughs> um, it also says like you guys got um like injured during this show. Like there's a lot of stunts, there's a lot of running around, a lot of gunplay, a lot of explosions, and um you and I have talked yeah. about it off off the mic, but could you tell us a little bit about like the experience of making this show when it comes to all of like that physicality? Because like you were saying, there's there's so much to contend with with coming into the series as people who are learning, but like even like some experienced actors may not be accustomed to having to be in the war zone like you guys had to be for the this season. <laughs> if you ever if you, if you ever talk to Rodney, and I'm sure I'm I'm pretty sure James probably mentioned it when he was on, but you should ask Rodney to tell the story about <laughs> about how James I'm I don't know I'm laughing because James broke his rib, but um, the story about how James broke his rib to hear Rodney tell it is so funny. Um, just because also it's like Cooper, like tickled to death about McQueen wanting to, you know, because we, we were all in every shot. So like the idea was that there's all of these actors so you can give actors some time off. It's like when you're having, you know, when Vanson and Cooper are doing their thing, like we can give these guys, you know, some time off, but it never worked out that way because, they're they're sort of having a scene together and Wang is like checking the radio in the back and Dan Foose is shoveling something over there. So we were basically in every scene every day together and you get really tired and you, people are literally throwing dirt in your face. They're like, action, throw dirt in your face. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, you got these helmets on. Rodney was claustrophobic and these helmets uh, would just fog up and he would just, you know, and Cooper became claustrophobic because Rodney was claustrophobic. Um, and so, uh, on sugar dirt, uh, sugar dirt has the, has still to this day, it's like the longest work day I've ever done. It was a 20 hour work day. Um, and we'd been shooting all day. It ends, uh, that day ended where, um, we're all in the diner and we think that we're about to get killed and McQueen walks through the door and says, you know, you're never right. You know? And, um, we were 
so tired <laughs> watching watching this last time Kristen is crying like in the diner and it was like she's crying because she's so tired we were so <laughs> tired um and earlier that day we had shot uh you know all those explosions on the airfield and this and the special effects guys were like kids in a candy store because they were getting to blow stuff up in the middle of nowhere so all this gasoline all these pellets and stuff and you know on that particular day, there was a huge fireball and the wind shifted when we're jumping into a foxhole and uh, the wind blew the fireball over the hole. And I think it was me and Morgan were the closest to the blast, but everybody got burned from it. Like I had a, I got a really big burn on my neck. I think there's still a scar on there. And um, we thought we were on fire. Like it was, it was really intense. Uh, and, you know, we never had a day like that again. I think, you know, production called us in and wanted us to tell the whole story. And uh, we never had to do that again. And, you know, people were falling asleep, driving home, like driving off the road and stuff like that, you know, after these really long. I mean, that's something that's been addressed actually in the last couple of years where they have these new rules where if you're going to be shooting a certain distance away from places, they have to put you up in a hotel because mm. it's just too dangerous. Yeah, that makes sense, too. I mean. You, this this is a physically taxing show like you're going to have you have to wear these big outfits you have to wear these big helmets where they have to i imagine with the ones where you're on a planet they have to put a fan in it so you have some oxygen like some airflow in there and who knows how good they are because those well then they have to turn the fans off the when you're speaking yeah when you're speaking it's like they can't hear it so they turn the fans off and then you'd fog up you know at least you didn't have to wear the jig outfit <laughs> that's true that is that is very true also, we didn't have to be Rodney and um, who monitors the birds. Who, oh, yeah. I mean, Rodney, I think I think Rodney beat the 20 hour mark on more than one occasion while shooting that show. And and he's in he's in, in the water. He's like rolling. I mean, he's you name it. He's doing it. And he embraced it 100 percent. You know, like he and he's so wonderful. He's so wonderful in that. It's such a great special episode. Um, but it almost killed him. Oh, yeah. That was the thing about space is this is a one season show. It's a canceled series when. We talk about it. You got to hear Rachel go through the journey of, oh, I shouldn't get, I can't really get that attached because it's cancelled. To, oh, I'm really attached and I'm upset because it's cancelled. And the thing that I really admire about it is they fit so much stuff in. Like a lot of first seasons of shows, even today, but especially back then, just kind of flounder about. Like space goes all in. Yeah, like there's still rough patches, but like mm. there's so much like adaptation to the things that need to be there. While it's like most Star Trek first seasons suck, it's just because they haven't they don't grab onto the things that work until like midway through the second season. But that's the thing right. that I really admire about this 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 show is just it's like 23 episodes, and you just you see it just click into place after a certain point. And with its with its cancellation, like. How did you find out about it? Like there was this obvious, like as you were saying before, there was there was this hope that things would would work out, but there was yeah. still some writing on the wall. But like, how did it come across to you? Like, how did you? What was the moment you knew that it was actually over? Uh, I think I got a phone call from from Jim Wong. I was in New York. Uh, got the phone call, but then I feel like I watched. I mean, I, I know I was, when the last episode wa- uh, aired, I was with James. I, I, I watched it in James's house uh, while we watched it together. And uh, I didn't know that Wang was going to go out the way that he went out. It, it was written as a cliffhanger and nobody had told me. So uh, when I watched that happen, we both were like, Wah! and we were, you know, 
James was laughing about it and I sort of was like laughing too, but I was pretty traumatized about it, you know, because um, I hadn't yet had that experience of, you know, of dying, like on something that I'd worked on for such a long time. And uh, it really did feel like in the days following that someone I knew really well had unexpectedly died. It was really sad. I mean, I know it's not the same thing, but emotionally when you work on something for a long time and all of a sudden they're gone, it was, it really took me by surprise. It was a bummer. They didn't call you to be like, hey, no, they, they called you and let me. you know it was over, but they didn't say, Hey, by the way, we killed your character in the edits. No, I think, um, you know, maybe Jim had called Joel and tell him we're canceled on his list. Glenn had tell Joel that he blows up and he forgot to call me. <laughs> That was, but, you know, that's, the, that's a big surprise because, mm. like, well, in theory, it makes sense because it's like this is a war show. We have to show the cost of it. We killed Pags in the first episode, yeah. and so if we're going to end it, somebody or main, many people need to go. But with Wang, it's just it's just as as we were talking about before. Like you 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 clo- the doors closed on you, and there's just this this acceptance of the thing, and you've grown so much since the first episode where you didn't have your battle cry and. Uh, Rachel, for for yourself, like you, mm. your first time in this, yeah. Did you think that Wang was going to to make it out at the end of the the season? Because I hoped, but I got the feeling that they were just like, we're going out. We're just going to cut all of these things, <laughs> and Wang was on his own, done something heroic. I was like, it's it's prime time for for killing your darlings. But I was still upset and disappointed that they did it. <laughs> yeah, you have such a good um, you have such a good radar for these things. I, I, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you for things in the future just to get your sense. <laughs> yeah, we'll read your scripts and be like, uh, Joel, you're going to die um, yeah. soon. <laughs> Should I do this or not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Joel. Um, you're gonna, Rachel's going to get all level of necessity on me. Oh yeah. <laughs> we did have a question that was like, you you've ended up doing a lot of genre stuff and we were wondering like is that a happenstance thing or is it just like you've done one so then you kind of go people know you for that so they're like oh yeah get Joel in for this yeah I don't know I mean it's it's certainly not I I haven't thought about it that way before um it's not part of the plan or anything I mean I think that um I would sort of characterize my career like over the last, basically since the start of streaming as, as sort of a different chapter as the stuff that came before. Like, because basically I did this job called Hemlock Grove, which is a horror genre thing for Netflix. And I think that I hadn't done a job like, like that in many years, you know, cause I did 10 years on recurring on SVU, which was sort of like a recurring supporting part and so to play this part sort of began a process of you know hemlock grove led to man in the high castle which led to shows after that and i think that um those were more related to each other than than uh than space was um i think that the you know the hemlock grove the the great gift of hemlock grove i mean and, and i i really loved that show i really loved working on that show i think that the great lasting gift that it gave me was it allowed people to see me in a darker way. So uh, it's led to a lot of, I mean, it's, it's really funny to me when people are like, you know, gosh, you know, all you play are like these really scary, dark people. I think it's so funny because 
if you had said that to me, you know, when I'm, you know, when I was playing Wang, who doesn't have his battle cry or whatever. And then for years and years, it's just like best friend and like, you know, uh, you know, smiley guy. Cause I'm smiley guy, but, um, you know, nowadays it's all like, you know, play these morally gray individuals, you know, but you have, I, you have I a love it. scowl going on in a lot of your IMDb <laughs> pictures. It's like, ah, oh, there's villain man. Here he is with a so scowl. <laughs> I think because yeah, with, with me, it's like, I find it very interesting because I must admit, I've only seen the first season of The Man in the High Castle, and uh, it was just given to me. It was like, hey, you should check this out. And I was watching the show, and it was like halfway through, I'm like, oh, that's Wang, by the way, because so much, so, you, know, you, know, you know, it's been so long, but it's just like, you're so different. Like, you're like just such a different character, and I hadn't really seen you in anything else other than space, and and maybe one or two things over the years in little in little roles, but then I saw you in this, I'm like, oh man, and you're playing like arguably one of the best characters in the show as well, and mm. it's just like, oh, that's Wang. He's he's scary in this show. He's, he's not the <laughs> nicest person in the world. You're like, wait, this is the guy that was complaining about representation? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> playing exactly, a really but... scary, you know, eyeglass-wearing Japanese guy. Yep, oh, it's yeah, it's the same guy. With a leather coat and everything and the hat. Oh, man. Yeah. But yeah, I did find it interesting because like since space, the like some of your biggest roles have been like these these shows that generate like a, a bunch of audiences. Like when you do a science fiction show, when you do a horror fantasy show, when you do like your alternative history sci-fi and your zombie shows and all that, even before the streaming age, there's more of a guarantee of like nerds like us that will exist and bug you about it than say you doing like a you know a firefighter show. You know, or something like that, or yeah, I don't, I don't know how rabid the Law and Order fans are for you. I can't, I, can, I don't know. I know Law and Order has been around for a while, but I just wonder, like, have you had any particularly memorable fan interactions over the years when it comes to space? Oh, like most of my favorite interactions are with people from space because I think also because if people, uh, if people recognize me from space and they didn't like it, they they just don't say anything. <laughs> but, but if people if, if people are going to come up to you and say something about a show that was on 30 years ago, uh, usually it's it's something that's really moving, you know, and, uh, you know, I was doing, you know, I'm working on this Walking Dead show. And, you know, I'm in, I'm in France, I'm in the countryside of France, like, I'm, I'm not even I'm not in Paris, I'm in I'm at Mont Saint Michel in in France. I'm going to eat at a restaurant, and the guy that's sitting is just like, oh, "The show," you know. And I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, The Walking Dead. We're shooting here." And he's like, "He's like, no, not that show. Space 2063," which is, I guess, you know, <laughs> how it's known in a good portion of the world. And I'm so moved by that, you know. Like I'm, you know, you're saying that's like, oh yeah, like you know, you do these genre shows and like the, and and nerds, you know, like if you're lucky you get to perform for nerds because they really are in, we really are interested in what is going on you know like interested in the world interested in uh uh trying to understand it or going along going along for the ride you know and that and and forgiving our our failures and and getting back on the ride you know and trying to help us with some ideas or corrections with things that you might have I don't know if you know that you're using the wrong gun in that scene, you know, things like that. But, but it's like pilots don't go on the ground and shoot guns. <laughs> God, that was, I, I think 
if anything was going to cause Glenn to have an aneurysm, it would be that particular criticism, you know, but, <laughs> but you know, people care enough to say stuff like that. So, you know, it, it is sort of exasperating and crazy sometimes, but the more you, like once you know, or you learn to think like, I'm going to just pretend that I'm going to, that there is going to be, that we're going to keep being able to work because I think there's so much stress. It's like, look, don't you know, we don't know if we're going to, we might get canceled next week or don't you know, we're trying to do a million different things here. And that's the last thing that we're trying to worry about right now. If you can somehow be like, you know what, I'm going to pretend like there's, there's 10 seasons of this. Then you just appreciate the fact that people care so much. You know what I mean? Like, like stumbling across like yum, yum podcast. It's like when I know how many episodes there were, you know, and I, I know now how it turns out and I know you know, that it's 30 years later and I, I, you know, thank goodness I, I still have a career. You know what I mean? So I, I have distance from the show so I can, I can watch it and appreciate all the things that you have to say in a way that sometimes you can't when you're standing, you know, you're in your 16th hour of work, someone's throwing dirt in your face and like, you know, uh, you know, so-and-so won't come out of their trailer and you got like, you know, three more hours to shoot. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's a whole different kind of pressure when that happens. Well, that's the thing too, like with this current age now, anyone can look back and analyze and review and write stuff and go over things with a fine tooth comb. And like, we are just, just people, we, we have microphones and we, we have the DVD box set of, of this show. And I was like, let's just do this. And, and you did go out of your way to get those DVDs though. I wanted the commentary tracks. <laughs> I needed to hear Fox get shit on and I got what I wanted. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, now I look they don't make to commentary the... tracks like that anymore. I get to listen to them now because Ryan wouldn't let me listen to them in case they had spoilers. Which they did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> like yeah. literally in the first yeah. commentary track, they're like, oh yeah, so we killed Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, stuff like that but that, can you imagine that's how i found out like on the commentary track <laughs> wait what but like you know as an as an actor these aren't necessarily things you may think about like uh, back in this you know back in the day like you get reviews probably in the paper or wherever they would write up reviews and from what i understand there was a bit of a relationship with fans like online at the time with yeah. with space yeah there was uh we had just we had our AOL accounts. We had uh, we had modems in our little dressing rooms. Uh, um, but yeah, we met. Uh, you know, there's one in particular. You know, uh, one group in particular. Uh, there was a young man who was waiting for a heart transplant named Mark, and hit the person who was sort of helping him, who was a, a heart transplant survivor, uh, was a woman named uh, Vic, uh, Victoria, and she basically. They watched the show together. She was savvy online and sort of got us sort of um, got in contact with us about Mark. And, and it just started this relationship. Like I'm, I'm still in touch. Uh, I, I have been in touch with Victoria over the years. Um, we, you know, we sent Mark some stuff. He, unfortunately he did not survive. Like while we were shooting, like all that happened, but it brought this community pretty close. Um, but yeah, like that was like the very beginning, like your, or the beginnings of, sort of widespread internet use and uh, uh, space was, that's when space was happening right then. Like these message boards and stuff. There was like, you know, 
there was all this sort of uh, risque fan fiction uh, between uh, uh, Cooper and McQueen. <laughs> we also made our fan fiction about that on yeah. the show. We also shipped them. Yeah. Mainly, we're McQueen and uh, Ross heads. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Ross yeah, had the yeah. guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But um, I'm losing Rachel. She's She's already remembering the times that we talked about that. Yeah, I'm just grateful that you didn't bring that up during the last interview. Oh, I'm sure James would have been a good sport about all oh, of that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I just don't think I would have managed to recover. <laughs> but, like, um, yeah, we, we, we just felt like it on our end too. Like, we like talking about the shows we, we like or are interested in. We love Babylon 5, for instance. That's, like, one of our favourites. We talked about Star Trek Discovery because we found it frustrating as a series, but we wanted to examine it. And with space, like, one of the things I found was just there's so little, like, discussion on it, like, outside of just the general stuff of, like, oh, I miss the show, and oh, there's only one season. There's It's like this overwhelming kind of like sadness to it and yeah it's almost like the fandom focuses in on what there isn't instead of what there is and Mm. we wanted to do the podcast to like go through each episode and like how does it like how are the episode like how's the show itself rather than just looking at it as just this thing in the past and this like what could have been and I, I found it very yeah. like exhilarating to do that. It's probably been our favorite show that we've had to do on the podcast because of that, because there was so much stuff that's still relevant to today. There's some interesting artifacts of the time period, like, uh, you know, could it be ESP? But <laughs> <laughs> could she uh, have ESP? But... Um, uh, poor chaps. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, you know, for, for yourself, like you've been a big supporter of the podcast and we, and we thank you so much for that. Like uh, we, 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 we tagged a couple of the actors here and there along the way, but we weren't too sure like how, how people would fare with it because this is like something you worked on decades ago and, you know, it could be a case of like, why would people want to be yeah, but tinkering it, and looking at all the bits of it now? It seems to be that everybody... Uh, who we have been in contact with, like, space really has a special place in their hearts and they're really excited that other people are still excited about it. I think that um, uh, anytime someone is thoughtful about something that you put a lot of hard work into, at the very least, you have to respect... uh, you have to respect the time that they're putting into it. You know, like it's, it's just really nice to have your work considered, you know, because there's no guarantee, you know, there, there's no, I mean, space is a one season situation and already that's in the minority of shows, you know, so few pilots, so, so few scripts become pilots. So few pilots become series. So few series run a whole season. Uh, you know, so already it's like when you when you get to a situation like that, it's like, all you know, you're already talking about it's a rare circumstance. We sort of have this we sort of have this theory that if we had, for example, gotten the slot that was promised us, like uh, to lead into the X-Files, like if we weren't like a Sunday seven o'clock show or if we had survived that first season, uh, the show would have run many seasons. It was just it was just at the beginning of things of people becoming interested in in science fiction on a sort of a wide screen and on a wide um, uh, on, a, on a wider level. And and I think that if we'd gone past that first season, we would have run 
maybe many seasons, certainly a few, I think. Because it is like it is an interesting series to look at in the landscape of, of science fiction TV. You weren't doing like this series was not doing the Star Trek thing. It wasn't doing the Babylon Five thing. This okay. is a war show. This is gritty. The color palette of the show is like murky browns and grays. The ship is not yeah. like this wonderful little ship that you live in. It's like a tin can, like a submarine. Yeah. And then you, the character types, like Vanson being like the badass marine lady, but she's still feminine and she's like kicking ass and taking names, but also she has loves and losses. And then years later, that type of science fiction television was seen as like, oh, refreshing, like Star Trek Enterprise yeah. tried to do it, Battlestar Galactica successfully did it, and now we live in the age where, like, that, that's so many shows, it's like, we have to, we have these dark, gritty, contemplative shows, like, with Space Above and Beyond, there's a lot of action, but the thing that really is the, the like, the gold of the series is just characters having their almost like soliloquies about what the situation is of war or loss or family or faith in your character's case. Like that's one of my favorite things about Wang was uh, the river of stars, like the exploration of, of faith or the loss of faith. And it doesn't mean just religious. It doesn't mean just right. believing in God or, or, or Jesus, but it's about believing in, in something in, in his case. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So, with all of that being said, like as a as a performer in the show, what was the the big message or the, or the point of space for you? It was great to get to work on a character for a long time, and and not just. You know, even if you were lucky enough to do a play that had a long run, you basically rehearse it and then you're performing a finished product for a long time. And it can grow in, in that performance and you find ways to grow it. But basically, you're performing the same written piece and, and sort of a completed show again and again and again. This was something where the process went on from the beginning to the very end. Like at the very end, we were still trying to figure things out and trying to flesh things out. And I prefer it now, you know, like decades later, like I think if like long form television is a great creative way to work because you can be less precious about the work. You can be and more adventurous and experimental if you can find your spots because the characters are going to grow and change and, and mistakes are okay because people make mistakes. Characters make mistakes, you know, and, and, that's that's the lesson from Wang too, is that you can try something for a while and then you can try something totally different and it can still be the same person. In fact, what you think doesn't make sense will teach you more about who the character is than you understand now. Because of the fact that he does these things, he's more than you thought he was or she was. Well, that's pretty much all we've got in terms of the questions when it is all in relation to space. The last major thing we have to ask you Oh, is, no, no, sorry, sorry. I do want to interrupt. You can allow it. Yeah, I'm just curious if you still have any props that you pinched from the set. Oh, yeah. Did you steal <laughs> anything? Uh, I, I had a lot, a lot of stuff. About, about a year maybe a year or two ago, but during the pandemic, maybe like I, I went through and I found all kinds of stuff. Like I had two jackets with all the patches on them. Um, and I had scripts 
and I had uh, dog tags and I had uh, a 58th watch, like a lot of the props and stuff. And I gave them to fans online, like basically just asked people to share memories of the show and then, and sent them stuff. I, I think I still do have a pair of dog tags. I might have a watch still. Um, I might have like a hammerhead pin. Like we had lots of stuff because if, if it wasn't even just directly from the show, like we'd get little things made or sent to us. Like it was, you know, because when people like the show, they really like it. So, you, you know, you get sent things all the time or props, like has an extra this or that lying around. And there were a million things on the Saratoga, you know, like, uh, but, but I, I really love those dog tags, you know, because it, it, um, oh, you know, and it places you, I also had, um, I had the little, uh, tombstone plaque that, uh, whenever, when we think that the 58th has been killed and stay with the dead and then they have mm. the funeral, like I had my little, uh, thing and I think I gave that away too. Oh, wow. Mm. So cool. Uh, mm. yeah, it's always great because yeah, this is a, you know, this is a show where I imagine they would want to keep some of these to reuse them in other in other things. Like I've seen, I see, I still see some of the Chig outfits float around in different in different productions and really? things from time to oh, time. Wow. Because I told you, did I tell you that? Like uh, just after after Space was canceled, I was guest starring on this uh, firefighter show called Fire Company One Thirty Two, and they were using our sets uh, to burn stuff like for the big flames and stuff. So I saw like they were just throwing the Saratoga onto this thing and burning it and like shooting. It was really depressing. It is because it's such an amazing set. It's like you're wasting it. It's such an elaborate. I mean, even just like the, the hammerheads dropping down that whole sequence. It's so cool. I mean, Mm. yeah, I just, uh, you know, and, and just the, the Chig ships were so cool. Yeah, well, that was a great thing too. Like, there's a lot of like practical reasons that things the way they were, but then they just tie into themes. Like, oh, you can't just have the hangar bay full of actual hammerheads in there. Mm. So obviously, yeah. you're just gonna have the thing lower down. But it's yeah. like, oh, it works because it's like they're getting into coffins each time, and it <laughs> goes with the, <laughs> right. the sense of death oh my that's God. looming over every episode. But that's all we have to ask about space. Um, is there anything else you, you would like to say about it all? Or is there anything else you want to mention? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I'd like to give my uh, review of the podcast. I'd say your podcast gets a yum yum from me. Thank you. Uh, Thank it's you. Such, a, such a great gift. I mean, it's, you know, you guys are really astute and thoughtful and so smart and considered about the show. It's been deeply appreciated by, by me and I think the other people that worked on the show for a long time. It's just, it's very, it's very um, meaningful and gratifying to hear stuff that you worked on, um, find an audience that is receptive. And, uh, and so we, we really appreciate that kindness. And by kindness, I also mean your honesty about it too. Like it's not just it's your support, but also uh, your loving criticism about it as well. Like it, it, it really helps. Because uh, one of the big differences between film and television is that, I mean, one of the big differences between film and television and theater is that in theater you get the, re- you know, you need your audience and then you get the response right away. You know, you, you put energy out there and it comes back in a laugh or comes back in a, in a, in a tension-filled pause and there's applause, you know. Uh, and in TV, often you're just putting things out there and it's like a great void. You never hear anything back. And the world is a little different now with social media and everything else, but there's nothing quite like the return of having a dialogue with people, you know? And um, I just think that 
it's it's anything any real any artist really appreciates is to have a, a meaningful dialogue about their work you know it's it's how you can get better it's a different way to sort of learn and grow from from it and so uh people often pretend that they don't pay attention to the audience but really the audience is the most important part of what we do so thank you for being such a great audience wow. very moving we tried um uh, yeah i was so i was so just wanting to revisit the show and see how it would stack up as an adult, as someone with yeah. more of a critical lens. And like, and also I like to, to force me to get past the pilot. Yeah. <laughs> get past that pilot. I've got, uh, with our podcast, we're very much like, we like, we, we, it's easy to criticize, be like, oh, this is why I don't like a thing. But we also like to talk about like, what, what, what do we like? And what about the, the the writing or the how production or the actors like this work yeah how and why does it work it's easy just to say like oh the acting's real good but it's like what are the examples of that like what are the little nuances and and um are we right or are we wrong like when we were talking to james he was surprised it's like we we thought oh james immediately got the characters like oh i didn't know <laughs> for ages i'm like <laughs> but he comes yeah. in with such a confidence and and stuff like that but um and and same for you like we would talk about that too where it's just like we we feel like this actor has so much to to give but the 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 series hasn't been able to get there yet. And then in the back half, it really does. It really, like, I, we didn't care for Pearly as an episode, but we loved all of the stuff for you to do in it, like all of the mm. material to do. Um, and there's things like that. But uh, do you have any uh, projects or shows or movies or anything coming up? Uh, I'm, I'm working on this sh uh, show called uh, The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon. Um, I... I appear in the last episode of the of the first season, which is aired already, and then I'm in the second season, which is what we've just finished. Uh, and that that's been a great process because uh, I'm working with a lot of people. I'm working with several people that I've worked with before. Um, uh, the showrunner of that show, I've, I went to acting school with, and um, two of the directors. One of them, uh, two of them, I've, I've worked on both of them with Man in the High Castle, uh, and one of them for many years. And so it's just been fun to sort of collaborate in a in a in a way with colleagues that I've known for a long time. Um, and then I have a, uh, this independent film that I did that's sort of doing the circuit right now called uh, Ramona at Midlife, which is by a wonderful uh, filmmaker slash playwright named Brooke Berman. And so hopefully that'll have a nice little audience. Um, and then just trying to find life uh, post strike, you know, now that uh, the strike is over and work is picking up again, I'm, I'm hoping to sort of uh, have an opportunity to, to work on something new and find some interesting people. Very nice. Because yeah, when we were chatting away during the podcast, I was like looking up, what's Joel up to these days? I'm like, hey, I know this show. Hey, I know this show. Oh, I didn't even recognize you did a voice in this Superman show that I watched a couple of episodes. Oh yeah, that was of. fun. That was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. But you've been busy, you've been active and you're still got stuff up. When we were, when we were first interacting, you were like, oh, I'm in France. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, life of, person traveling around and then yeah. it, then it's like oh you're working on a walking the walking dead france show oh i know about this and now we get advertisements for that on buses and all that down here it's like look it's daryl <laughs> but um it's oh good yeah right okay cool yeah because you know walking dead's a big thing um it's been around for a very yeah. long time but uh yeah no that's cool and um are you 
like you you appear at the end of the show. Can you tell us a little bit about what you are in in the Walking Dead show? Sure, or is that... uh, I can I, t- I can talk a little bit about what happens at the end of season one because because uh, it's on the air. But, uh, basically, this, the series follows Daryl Dixon, played by Norman Reedus, uh, and how he somehow ends up in France, and so it, it, the uh, the apocalypse has happened there as well. He's trying to figure out what this new world is, how it's the same and how it's different. And then he ends up with some people and he's trying to help them find their way to a place called the nest, which is a spiritual enclave of people who are trying to embrace the higher aspects of humanity. While so much of it has been uh, just about base survival and death. And so it's sort of this amalgamation of all these religions have come together and it's led by this character named Losong and um, who is a, uh, an Asian American Buddhist from New Jersey who got stuck in Paris during the zombie apocalypse. Uh, although the word zombie does not exist in this universe, the Walker apocalypse, I guess I should say. And um, so he's sort of, he's an American who speaks French and, uh, um, and is trying to sort of lead the world to a spiritual uh, transformation. And that's the character that I play. Sounds like you're a nice guy. I yeah. I get positive vibes from the man of a cult. Sounds like I don't know. We'll have to find <laughs> out and see where you go. Well, you have to watch and see. Uh, you know, like all people, he's not perfect. Let's yes. just put it that way. Walking Dead does love our main characters go to what is a seemingly nice place with a weird setup, and then it's like, well, we have to. Try and be friends with these people, or not. We'll have to see. Yeah, beware of the nice people, right? Beware yes. of the nice people in a in an post apocalyptic world. Well, mm-hmm. I guess that's all we have. Um, I thank you so much for for supporting us and coming on and chatting with us. It means the world, and uh, it's been just so just again like just I, speechless almost about all of this because we just were sitting in this room and we're just recording our conversations on this and just sending it out to the web and we knew that the Space Above and Beyond fans would appreciate it but there was like a little bit of a will will the cast and crew listen to this or will they hear this mm-hmm. because you know again not enough people are really flagging this up in the in the in the particular way that we were doing it but uh it's just so great to be able to to hear the the stories of of what it was like because you know as people who watch shows you, you you go how I wonder what it was like behind the scenes I wonder what like the actors think of this do they think the same way I do or do they have a drastically different view on everything and and you know Rachel you again like this is this was your first time experience you still haven't got the chance to rewatch it but do yeah. you think it will change drastically now that you have the type of like insight that no like rarely people get yeah, when they it, go, go through a rewatch of a show. Yeah, it will definitely be a unique experience. <laughs> but I I am really looking forward to it. We will try to like the enemy on the rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, one quick thing on the enemy is that um, we were so hopped up on caffeine during that show because there, there was a coffee truck that started coming right around that time and they would make these little coffee dollars and so we would like buy people coffee dollars and everyone was getting these coffees they were so good we felt like such grown-ups having coffees in the middle of the night because we were working all day and when you watch it it's like we are so caffeinated and <laughs> like like you so 
he so astutely put it, we are just yelling our heads off for, I mean, 50. Actually, the, the episode came in way short, so then they had to do the whole framing of it, you know, with it was looking back at it. But um, we, we, we thought like we were like serious actors doing it, like really feeling it. And then, um, yeah, so we, you know. There's no audience <laughs> to bounce kind of, off of then. No. <laughs> yeah, people, you know, we would have looked up and everyone would have had their hands over their ears. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, um, but if- I do want to defend uh, Marilyn Osborne, who's the writer on that episode, is a wonderful writer. And she she wrote she wrote the River Stars and she wrote, I believe, Toy Soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Stay with the Dead. I'm not sure about that. But she uh, she was uh, a wonderful writer and a great person to talk to about the scripts. And she, she had a deep affection for the characters on the show and gave gave Wang a lot of wonderful things to do, too, like like uh, River of Stars. Oh yeah, no. There was uh, there was a there was a great amount of uh, writers that came into the show that were already involved and got their episodes to do. I still can't f- wait to find out who who Doc Johnson is, who wrote Choice or Chance. That's like a mystery person. I'm like, I don't know who that yeah, is. Yeah, there's <laughs> uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of folks. There, there's a few writers at the beginning who uh, uh, have not the real names on the episode it's 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 you should ask uh, if you ever uh, if you ever speak to glenn and jim you should ask them about that oh yeah that's what we assume doc johnson sounds like an alias it <laughs> yeah. sounds like a for union <laughs> reasons right. i'm not allowed to put my name down for this one so mm. i'm going to put it down for this or whatever yeah. or, do you know or, alan do you know alan smithy yeah like the, the alan the smithy approach so, yeah it's, it's like alan smithy yeah oh but mm. but the choice of chance is so good <laughs> <laughs> you just want to have I somebody agree. directly to thank don't you Ryan? well they did give us el royale on that episode so it's a weird thing but uh everyone out there listening and or watching this um you can find us on social medias on all of the podcast hosting sites yum yum podcast if you want to support the podcast just head on over to our patreon where we upload some of this content over there first as well as we have a plethora of uh, bonus stuff that doesn't make it all the way to the main feed as well as a little group discord where we have a community of people that chat along we have some people who are just now starting to watch space above and beyond and and uh, we got a message dropped in there of uh, Jesus was an in vitro which made me have a good <laughs> chuckle so you get to have some of those uh, hijinks when you come on over but uh, make sure to like and share this around the place check out joel he's he's on social media too i love following your stuff your little updates on things your little behind the scenes photos your memories of working on previous uh on previous productions and stuff like oh look here's a photo of you with like the kid version of this character from the man in the high castle or or things like that and i must admit like it was such a weird moment of you shared one of our posts and there's like all of these actors I love and respect just commenting on the post. Like, hey, it's Daniel Day Kim, one of my favorite <laughs> actors. Daniel Day Kim's just, just dropping in. I'm like, of course, of course, Daniel Day Kim and Joel know each other. Of course. Why not? It's just, just one of those things. We went to acting school together. Yeah. And um, again, both of you early on, sci-fi um, shows that got canceled um, <laughs> because he was yes, in Crusade. Indeed. Um, which yes. is the Babylon 5 spinoff. So with Gary Cole and Ray Butts, uh, Steve, he was in American Gothic, the cancelled show with Gary Cole. I don't know what it is about Gary Cole and cancelled <laughs> shows in the 90s. But uh, thank you all so much for listening. And uh, until next time, remember to uh, 
to R.I.P. Pags. To give a toast to Pags. Pags. We need to interview Pags, actually. <laughs> we, should, we should sit down with him. He's an Australian talent, so I think we could get him. Let's let's bring him over. Okay. Find out what Pags get is him up in. to. I'll tune in. Here's the Pags. <laughs>